We're going to be stirring the pot today, y'all. Hello, and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth to chat about the terrible books we read because of the hype. Can you guys smell what we're cooking yet? Because I think I just burnt the spoon with the hot takes I'm about to share on my book opinions because this is going to be spicy. It's going to be a spicy time. But that was a pretty good segue into my dorky self. I'm Elizabeth. I have a channel called Ponytails and Paperbacks. And I am so excited that you're having me on here today, Gwen. I love your podcast. You know I love you. And I think you're so creative with these conversation ideas. You're always bringing something new to the bookish podcast world. And I know this is going to be a really entertaining conversation. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty nervous. This is my first podcast episode. Plus, we're going to be talking about books that were not for us when we know that they were for other people out there. So it's a little nerve-wracking, and I'm kind of the equivalent to a golden retriever ready to do whatever trick possible in order to get that treat. So in book terms, that basically means anytime I hear somebody say that they loved a book and need people to read it, I'm ready and running to read that specific book too. I'm actually really excited about today's episode, but I already know that some listeners might not be ready for this. I don't even know which books we're going to be talking about, um, but I want everyone to take a deep breath before we get started. I truly believe, and I know you do as well, Elizabeth, that every single book has an audience. And while you might love a book, I might not. These are our opinions, and honestly, you and I have pretty different reading tastes, I'd say. Um, But before we jump into that, I need to know, what was your last five-star read, and what are you currently reading? Also, I noticed on your Instagram, which I'm going to have linked in the show notes of this episode, you said you're going to do Mellow May, and I love that for you. So do you want to explain that a little bit? And then we'll talk about your five-star read and your current read. Yeah, of course. Honestly, I kind of had that idea all of a sudden. I was starting to think to myself, okay, May, I've got so much I want to get to. There's so many amazing readathons. There's so many buddy reads I could do. And then I started to get a sense of overwhelm and feel like reading was suddenly becoming just kind of cumbersome. And I thought, okay, I need to relax. I need to enjoy my reading. So I'm just doing it for May. I'm going to take a little step back. I'm not going to plan to read 50 million books this month. (laughs) I might read just a few that I really want to get to that are on my heart. And I'll see what happens along the way. You know, I can't say for sure this is what the month will hold, but I'm going to try to mellow out and read a little bit less, which is not really common for people on Bookstagram or Booktube, but we'll see how it goes. So yeah, I'm excited for it. This isn't going to be a surprise for you, but my last five-star read was Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. (laughs) Ah, the crowd goes wild. (laughs) Yes. And I feel like we actually bonded each other through reading Abby Jimenez. We've talked so much about her. Yeah. So that book is just an absolute five-star read. And I think I have such a soft spot for her. You do as well. 
I feel like her newest book gave me the five-star feeling as soon as I started it to the very last page. And she is a comfort author for me. I just, I don't have to try to feel anything when I'm reading. She just allows me to feel every type of way. And it always feels good, even when it's sad too. And I think that I relate to some of her characters. I found myself a bit in Jacob. She does a really good job representing anxiety, which Jacob has and he struggles with. And I just, I think she takes her time and she takes such care when she writes about really deep subjects. But my current read right now is Happy Place, which is by Emily Henry, which is very, very hyped. But I will say it's living up to the hype. I absolutely am loving it. I'm about halfway through it and I'm just savoring it basically. Pop Bookish to me is a bi-weekly podcast, but did you know that if you join my Patreon community, you gain instant access to bonus episodes. For the cost of a Starbucks, you can join a group of listeners and readers who love books as much as you do. We have monthly events and a book club. To discover all the perks available, click the link in the show notes. So I thought we needed to get started with a baseline. Like what themes, topics, genres do you typically read and enjoy? Well, I love honestly a lot of everything. I love books that fill my heart and leave me feeling really happy. I love to be a happy light for everybody. So in order to get that way, I have to fill my soul with just things that lift me up. So that could be a fantasy that I'm getting lost in or falling in love with a romance, of course. I sometimes do enjoy being scared with thrillers or even horror, and I'll be hiding behind the book as I read it, but definitely like that once in a while. And I'm a huge mood reader myself, so sometimes I can go off into a totally new direction or even a genre I don't go towards especially if I see people talking about it because I totally fall into that category of easily influenced by people reading books on BookTok, BookTube, whatever it is. And a huge theme I am currently loving right now is probably a slow burn romance. I think I love seeing characters almost get together and pull away again, almost get together and pull away again. And by the end, I just, I feel so happy in that payout factor is wonderful when they finally get together. It just makes my heart sore. So that's something I absolutely love. And as you know, I also love gravitating towards graphic novels. We did an amazing graphic novel readathon together. And I think those are great to pick up in between other books because those are I, I like to think of them as little pockets of happiness too. So Oh, I love that's that. kind of what I love. Pockets of happiness. <laughs> guys, I can't with her. You guys have to go follow Elizabeth on Instagram. Aww. Her reviews are epic and her review like she could hate a book, which let me be <laughs> honest, is not very often. So this is why this is such a hot take episode for her today. <laughs> but her reviews bring me so much happiness. And she is on YouTube as well, and I will have that linked, but she's not as active over there. She's got that busy mama life going on right now, but I just love her content so much. She's such a bubbly person. Oh, I just, and that, that whole explanation pocket of happiness. Are you kidding me? Like I could never. (laughs) Um, So some things I typically like are high octane thrillers that feel like an action movie. 
I love popcorn thrillers that are they the best literary, you know, masterpiece? No, but while I'm reading them, they're epic and I'm flying through the pages. Um, I love rom-coms, like I said, romantic comedies. I like dark and twisted memoirs, things that read fast, have short chapters. And I love when a book can evoke emotions from me, whether that's happiness and I'm just laughing out loud or whether I'm all up in my feels and I'm crying. I also love um, games and puzzles, clues and mysteries. One of my all-time favorites is The Giver by Lois Lowry because she was able to write such a complex story in such a concise way. The book's only 208 pages. And I feel like in my mind, that book is 500 pages at least, you know? <laughs> so I feel like if you can write a complex story in a short amount of time, I'm going to be a fan. On the flip side of that, another more recent favorite is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zivin. And guys, this book, oh my gosh, I love this one because of the characters and the journey that they went on, like the story itself. I loved it so much that I read it. I was not expecting this to be a new favorite at all, but spoiler for the end of the year, this is going to be my favorite book of the year, hands down. I will be shocked flabbergasted <laughs> if this is not the book at the top of my list because I reread it immediately after reading it. It was so good. So I kind of do run the gambit. I mean, like none of those fall in like my traditional like thrillers or rom-coms or memoirs or, you know, anything like that. But there's just something special about those two books that have my heart. So now mm -hmm. that we've talked about things that we like, what are your icks? Oh, that's such a funny word to me, your icks. <laughs> but honestly, it does depend on the book because... I have found myself say, oh, well, I don't like this specific thing. But then in another book, sometimes the author has a way of making me be okay with it. Like cheating, for example. Usually that's an ick for me. But there are tons of romances that have that in there. And if it feels sort of purposeful, I'm kind of okay with it. But usually that's an ick. I would also say, and this is going to sound sort of weird, but have you seen the movie Inside Out? Yes. Okay, the best way I can describe it is if I'm left feeling like the characters disgust, anger, or sadness, I don't feel great. I have a huge ick from that. I don't like to feel negative feelings after a book, which I'm sure not a lot of people do. Um, but I think if I'm just feeling an undesirable emotion by the end of it, or even a majority of the book, I don't like that. So... It's funny you mentioned tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Because <laughs> she basically read that because I was like, read tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. That book, here's the thing. I understand why you love it. And I actually would love to read it again because knowing that you read it and then suddenly turned around and read it another time through and now it's your favorite, it makes me second guess a lot of it. And that book is big and there's a lot to it. And so... I do want to take the time to reread that one because that book left me feeling really sad. I was a little blue sadness running around crying yes. from yep. that book. I tried but... to warn her, folks. I tried to warn her. I said, it's not <laughs> a happy did. book, Elizabeth. It's not a happy book. <laughs> Still, I was very sad. But I think there is sometimes beauty in feeling sad. So I guess to wrap around my icks, I don't like feeling sad or disgusted <laughs> or unhappy. Those are my icks. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to say, 
Definitely Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow is one of those books that, like you were saying, in one book, you won't like it, but another author will do it great. Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow is that perfect example for me. I don't like like slice of life stories. That's what that is. I don't like long books. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> I don't like um, books that follow characters for a really long period of time. That's what that is. <laughs> like, it's almost like all of my icks that worked because of the that's author. Amazing. So yeah. that's why I guess it was so surprising to me that I loved it as much as I did. Um, but some of my icks, if someone tells me that the writing is lyrical, I'm out. <laughs> I do not like flowery writing that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't like slow paced stories. I don't like plotless stories. I don't like slice of life stories or illogical <laughs> world building, which is why fantasy is not really my thing. If I can't yeah. like envision it or it's like not working in my head, it's just too complicated for me. I'm out. Everyone is influenced in different ways. They read different reviews, have different friends. So hype can come from different avenues. So maybe the books we're going to mention aren't hyped in your corner of the bookish world, but they were in ours. Again, let's all take a deep breath together. This episode is meant to be fun. The moral of this episode is don't believe the hype all the time. Elizabeth, why don't you get us started with your first terrible book? I love how you're having me start first, really getting <laughs> it going here. Okay, the first book I'm going to start with is the biggest book, and it's actually the book I started off this year with. It is Babel by Ara Kwong. Okay, this is a book that's set in alternate reality, 1830s England, in which Britain's global economic and colonial supremacy are fueled by the magic use of silver bars. It's advertised as a historic fantasy. And honestly, if you're confused with anything I have just said, then I feel better talking about this one <laughs> already. It's a lot. So terrible might be the wrong word here for this book specifically, because technically I didn't finish it, but I, I couldn't finish it. I was struggling with it a lot. I also think that who knows how I would feel by the end. Sometimes if I'm reading a book and I'm really not loving it, maybe by the end I could be swayed and my mind will be changed. So it's hard to say, but all I know is what I can speak on when I was reading it. And I can definitely say that the hype let me down for this one. A lot of people told me, oh, it's not confusing like you think it's going to be. You will be able to follow. It will make sense. That was not the case for me. I tried really hard to focus when I was reading it, and it was so dense. It felt sort of like a history book, which take me back to high school and history class. No, don't take me back there. Right. I don't want to be back there. <laughs> And I think that because it was advertised as a fantasy novel, I was let down because it felt more historic to me. And I think that this just felt like a dusty book sitting on a shelf for far too long. I discovered I'm also not a footnotes reader. I love books that don't have footnotes because otherwise it feels like even more information coming at me. And honestly, I read to escape and just relax. So it was the opposite effect with this one. Footnotes and confuse me, though. 
Yeah. I don't know when to read it. Do you right. finish the page and then read it? Or do you like read it within? Or like, Great so, so I'm kind of with you there. I'm totally confused <laughs> by footnotes. I was never taught how to ingest this footnote stuff. They should have a little label or like a little disclaimer. Here's how you read footnotes in my book. I think that would be helpful. Yeah. But I think this was just very overcomplicated to the point where I couldn't follow along. And if you were to ask me if I remember anything from it, I would say I remember the silver bars and that's about it. But I think this one has been so hyped by so many people. And so I expected to love it right away and I didn't. And so that was a huge bummer for me, to be honest. Yeah, that was, you were going in with high hopes though. So good for you for trying. My first one is kind of going to be a doozy because I know a lot of people love this. But remember, we already took our deep breath. We actually took two deep breaths. So <laughs> I want to say that The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. This one did not even remotely sound interesting to me. Okay. <laughs> I don't read fantasy. I don't like long lyrical stories. And I haven't even read much by this author. But the hype got me. And look where we are now, folks, okay? <laughs> this is a fantasy novel that follows a young French woman in 1714 who makes a bargain with the dark that makes her immortal, but curses her to be forgotten by everyone she meets. Over the course of 300 years and 440 plus pages, we sense the sadness and loneliness that Addie feels, but honestly, that's about it. Strangely, 300 years pass and almost nothing happens. That's how I felt. Remember, I really need a good plot. And this, I just kind of felt like we were like, okay, she's still living. No one recognizes her. Up, oh, it's another year and she's still living and no one recognizes her. Historical events are mentioned, but Addie doesn't really like live through any of them. She's either swept away or the details are glossed over. Was the writing good? In my opinion, not particularly. 90% of the novel, Addie complains about how no one remembers her and we're told countless stories of her moving from place to place and coming and going as she pleases because no one remembers her. And then 150 or so pages in, someone does remember her and it plays out like how you would expect. Um, she's so happy that someone finally remembers her, shocker. And since there's no real events or plot, it's more character driven. And I thought I would be rooting for the characters, caring which decisions they made, hoping that Addie LaRue finally finds peace with her decision and that good triumphs over evil. However, there was zero character development on Addie's part. She whines and complains the entire time, and it just never got better for me. Um, I was never drawn back to the book when I put it down. And I, by the end of it, I was like, I literally do not care what happens. Like anything could happen. And I would be like, <gasps> praise Jesus, you know, at the end. I hoped I would change my mind, but I never did. It was exhausting to read. It just felt like, I was never making progress. There, there had to have been like a million words on each page. Um, the characters were two-dimensional with a severe lack in chemistry. So even the prospect of love couldn't keep me interested in this one. I just have to say that I'm laughing so much right now because I love that book. <laughs> but you 
you'd explaining your take on it, it makes sense to me knowing who you are as a reader. And I will say, I'm going to make it my mission to find a V.E. Schwab book for you because yes, she is a fantasy author, but I do think I can find something for you in the future. She has a duology. It's the one about monsters. It's a YA duology. Is it Darker Shades of Magic or no? I have read the first book in the Darker Shades of Magic, I think. And I've read that's the one with the Londons that are different. Is that that one? She's got so many to be. But there's one. It's about monsters. It's going to bother me now. But there's one. It's a duology. It's pretty older. One has like a red cover and one has a blue cover. Oh, Um, vicious? No, it's not vicious. It's another duology. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I feel like, what is it called? I I don't know. (laughs) But I read that and I enjoyed it. So I have liked books from her before. I just haven't. I'm not like a stan. You know, I haven't read Vicious. I haven't finished most of her series or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I still love your opinion on it. I think it's it's fun to hear (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Okay. My next book is actually a show right now. It's The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. This book is a suspense novel about a woman's search for the truth about her husband's disappearance, no matter the cost. Before Owen Michaels disappears, he smuggles this note to her of his beloved wife of one year, and that's hence the title. So this sounded like a book that I needed because everyone, I mean everyone and their mother's great-grandmother, were talking about this book. I bought it immediately, and this is kind of embarrassing. I didn't actually read it right then. I read it a year later. So the hype had died down, and I had that in the back of my head that, okay, I still remember. Everyone has said this is an amazing book, but I honestly think this book should be retitled to the one syllable she utters to me. You're going to think that's a spoiler, No, it's not. I'm trying to help you. (laughs) Save your time. Ending of this book was my favorite part of it. And while sometimes I'm okay when books do that, I was really bored as I was reading it. And I felt like it wasn't a page turner like everyone was telling me it was. I felt like it was a good drama, but it wasn't really suspenseful to me and I think that the ending has some emotion in it which feels sort of surprising because the entire book isn't really written that way and so it felt sort of like a misplacement of having that ending in this book if that makes any sense and I think that now the show is out everyone's very excited for it but I am the one odd woman out that's not running to go watch it and pop my popcorn because I know what happens and it's not worth it for me. (laughs) It's like, pass. Okay, I love that for you. I love that she came with the alternate title. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my next one is The Paul Bearers Club by Paul Tremblay. And I haven't had the best luck with this author to begin with, but I distinctly remember thinking that I need to read this book right now for some reason. Um, It was starting to gain popularity and I wanted to be like in the know before the masses. Plus, I loved the way that it was formatted. It was super unique and that drew me in. 
The novel presents a faux memoir de detailing the early to mid manhood of Art Barbara, an awkward teen with scoliosis, and in the pursuit of extracurricular honors, Art established a pallbearers club where he forms a friendship with the enigmatic Mercy. It's marketed as a horror novel with author blurbs like cleverly voiced psychological thriller and unforgettable and unsettling and blood chilling twists and crackling wit, immersive, suspenseful, unforgettable and unsettling. And I'm like, what the heck did they read? <laughs> I thought it was plotless. Honestly, though, like, what is the point of this story? I do not know. I feel like the initial friendship between Art and Mercy was what I wanted the entire novel to be. Instead, it ended up a bit like Connell and Marianne from Normal People by Sally Rooney, which I cannot. I hated that book and I hated this one too. Um, it's not what I expected based on the synopsis. It's told as a memoir from Art's perspective, but Mercy has written in annotation, annotations and pages of her thoughts on what Art is recounting throughout the book. So talk about footnotes. This was like all over the place. You don't know when to read the stuff and you're like, oh my goodness. But as the reader, we follow along and try to figure out what is actually going on or what actually happened. And I don't think I ever figured it out. So that's a pass. Do I really need to talk about this one? Because maybe I'm most scared to talk about this one. Oh, okay, I'm sweating. All right. Okay, so I'm going to talk about The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. Okay. This book follows the main character, Olive, who's trying to convince her best friend that her dating life is going fabulous. In order to convince her, she pretends to date her co-worker, Adam. Olive and Adam try to convince everyone around them that they are in love. So the premise of that is exactly what I love. I love fake dating. That is a trope that I'm just ready for more. Doesn't matter how many times I've read it. So. I also want to start by saying, little tidbit, my husband is a scientist and he works in the lab every single day. He, he wears a lab coat. So this was right up my alley. I was ready to pretend that he was in this book. Really glad that I didn't because I would have hated him. <laughs> Spoiler. But he even went into his lab and took a picture of the book for me. That perfect little backdrop of this. So I really, really wanted to like this one. And a lot of my friends loved this one and were putting it in my hands. So my hopes were higher than a hot air balloon. I was ready, but I'm going to be very brutal here. <laughs> Whew, deep breath. Adam and Olive made me want to throw up. Honestly, they made me want to throw up into a biohazard bag that gets thrown away into an incinerator because a book should never make me want to throw up. But I think that this felt to me like an underdeveloped romance set in a science lab. I felt like I wanted to get to know Adam and I felt like I can't remember any details about him other than he was a big man, which I'm sorry, that's not a character trait. We all know there's chapter 16. I felt like there's a big push towards some of these sex scenes and it got me so out of the book that I felt like that's all I was reading. And I think there's even times Adam is really mean to everyone else but Olive. He's sort of a grumpy character. And that kind of just deflated my boat. My boat wasn't floating. If you catch my drift, there we go. There's my pun. <laughs> 
But I was frustrated by him and it made me not want to finish the book, but I did. I feel like the hype in this is a little misleading for people like myself who they want a romantic comedy. They want to fall in love with the characters. They want to laugh. They want to smile. And I was just the green faced sick emoji. <laughs> and I think, I think this, the one important thing I want to note about this book that I did love was that it's about women working in the field of STEM research. And I think that that should be represented so much more. I think that that is a wonderful power move. I just wish this one had been done a little bit differently for me. My hypothesis resulted as inconclusive after this. My next terrible book has to go to Sundial by Katriana Ward. Little history, I was spoiled for The Last House on Needless Street, but I picked it up and I gave it a go, but I didn't like the writing very much. And like I said at the beginning, I don't like to be confused when I'm reading a book. And this author, especially in that book, capitalizes on that. They want you to be confused. So I ended up not completing The Last House on Needless Street and moved on to Sundial, which was the author's new release at the time. Because again, the hype for this author is off the charts. In this one, Rob has spent her life running from Sundial, the family's ranch deep in the Mojave Desert, and her childhood memories. But she's worried about her daughter, Callie, who collects animal bones and whispers to imaginary friends. It reminds her of a darkness that runs in her family, and Rob knows it's time to return. So the plot seemed unconnected and meandering to me, um, which I'm a big plot-based reader. Whole parts of this book, in my opinion, could have been cut out, including the sections of Arrowwood. Um, there were entire sentences, paragraphs, and pages that had like a bunch of words, but made no coherent sense to me. It was almost like fever dreamish writing, and I don't like books that feel like a fever dream. Um, and while I didn't overall end up enjoying it in the end, I think the ending was brilliant. <laughs> But there's something about words writing that just doesn't work for me. But after I finished it, I was like, I am still glad. I Like, even though I didn't love it overall, the ending was so good. I'm like, I'm so glad I read it. Well, I feel like this is a really good one to talk about next because I heard you say that you hated. That's the word I heard. You hated Connell and Marianne, and I'm actually going to talk about Normal People by Sally Rooney. So this novel follows the complex friendship and relationship between two teenagers, Connell and Marianne, who both attended the same secondary school in Ireland and later Trinity College in Dublin. So if this is an example of normal people and a normal relationship, we need some serious help. How, how do I put that nicely? I can't because I feel like this book really was a struggle. And when a book has massive amounts of dialogue and doesn't use quotation marks, I don't feel like I'm reading a story. I, I just, that was so confusing to me. It felt like a stream of thoughts all the time and I couldn't even tell who was talking at certain parts. So that in itself, that was like, right away, I don't understand what's going on here. Another ick. No quotation marks. Yes, <laughs> definitely an ick. A huge one. I also think that 
if a book is going to be centered around the way two people are connected and if it's going to explore the journey of these characters and their growth, then these characters should have more depth. There was a lot of times when they would be talking and the talking would be nothing. They were hardly saying things. It was a lot of, I don't know, yep, sure. And I just, I need more than that. I felt like they were too rocks in mm-hmm. a way and i think that the ending of this book it's hard for me to remember it completely but i remember it feeling sort of bleak and it made me feel like all of the time i've spent reading this and wishing for it to come together by the end it unraveled and just fell apart for me i needed a stronger more beautiful ending in my mind and the reasoning for why everyone loves this one I don't really know. I would love to understand what it is. And I think I've heard a lot of people say they love Sally Rooney's writing. So maybe they can get behind the no quotation marks. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Teach me your ways. Actually, don't. But (laughs) I think the weird thing about this one is that I watched the show on Hulu and I actually really enjoyed the show. But I think I did because I loved the two actors and I also loved the location because it was filmed in Ireland. And so that brought me back to being there. And I think maybe this is a weird case for me where it was better on the screen than it was in the book. Not sure. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I've been so hesitant to watch it because I... When I read this book, this book, people love this book. This is people's favorite book of all time. It's all over TikTok. It's all over Bookstagram. It's all over BookTube. Like, this is a very popular book. And like you, I don't understand. I'm like, what did you like about it? But funny that this book also reminds me a little bit of Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. You are right. And I loved Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow, but I did not like this one. So I think it has to do with two things. The writing, loved the writing in Tomorrow, 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 did not like the writing in this one, and the quotation mark thing. But also, like you said, these characters didn't have depth. They were kind of melodramatic, whereas I really do think that we got to know the characters in Gabrielle Zivin's book. So I think those are the huge differences for me. But the plot is kind of very similar in a way. So that just blew my mind when that was the first, like, I was like, well, what books could I recommend that are like this? And I was like, not normal people. (laughs) So there's that. Okay, moving on. Um, Okay, my next um, terrible book is The Plot by Jean Hans Korolitz. I know you read this and enjoyed it, Elizabeth, so another unpopular opinion. I heard that this book is a must read for book lovers and thriller readers in particular. I'm going to disagree. In the plot, Jake is a failed writer who steals the plot of a book from his deceased student. It becomes a bestseller. From there, the book turns into a book within a book as we follow both Jake's story as well as the story being told in his bestselling novel, The Crib. Realistically, I should have DNF'd this around page 60. 
Nothing about the writing, the characters, or the plot was pulling me into the story. The author is very much like the Jean Hans Corlett. She's very much in the author world, and she knows how readers view authors, which I thought was very cool. It was probably my favorite part of the book. So I was like, this is an author that knows authors, knows readers, and they and she knows how those things connect. Um it was evident in the storytelling and the quips and the call outs throughout the plot. Unfortunately, that's not why I wanted to read the book. I picked it up after countless people spoke so highly of the plot and the thrills. Again, I'm like, what the heck did they read? Um, surely not the same book that I read. Maybe my pages were altered or something. I don't know. Um, the plot was slow to develop, the characters were boring, and the book inside the book was boring. And the plot that Jacob stole, in my opinion, was not unique in any way. And people kept saying, oh my goodness, if you're going to make a book about a book's plot, <laughs> this is so confusing. But if you're going to make a book about a plot, that plot has to be mind-blowing to me. If you're going to make it about this, he stole his student, his deceased student's book because of it. Like I thought it was going to blow my mind and it was not unique. I saw all the twists coming a mile away. Maybe I would have appreciated it more if I was interested in writing like myself, like being an author or something, but I'm not. So I didn't like the book. And I actually agree with you, even though I loved the book. I agree when you said the plot was not groundbreaking. I think for me... I loved the buildup of trying to find out what the plot was going to be. But then, of course, you know, it couldn't be amazing <laughs> or groundbreaking because it just wasn't. The last one I have is probably one where I'm going to start to get a little bit passionate on. So bear with me. I'm going to talk about One of Us is Lying by Karen M. McManus. Have you read this one, Gwen? A long time ago, yes. Okay. So One of Us is Lying is first of all very loved and everywhere you look i feel like every reader out there has at least seen this book it basically follows a story of bronwyn Addie, nate and cooper and they are all suspects in the murder of their friend simon keller so i am a huge fan of ya mysteries and thrillers because it brings me back to my nancy drew loving days i love reading books where i can play detective and i can pull out my metaphorical magnifying glass and solve something as i'm reading it that is my jam so this was not a case of me not liking ya or it being the wrong genre in fact it was really perfect for me so the hype of this, I believe, is because of the twist with the ending, which I strongly am not okay with, in all honesty. And I won't be spoiling anything, so don't worry about that. But I will be talking about this in the best ways that I can. I also feel like this book doesn't really do anything new, and every single character falls into a certain trope or stereotype, and none of it is feeling different or fresh and new. So that felt kind of problematic to me. And going into the twist at the end, I think that because this is a book that, you know, will fall into a younger audience's hands because it is geared towards YA, I think for our younger readers, this could be slightly damaging for them to read. I feel really uncomfortable when twists are used for shock value 
especially if it has to do with mental illnesses. I feel like that's not an easy thing to write about in a twisty way. I also think we get into this trap of, well, if trigger warnings are really important to you that you know about them, if it's a spoiler, how do you go about that? So that is where this book falls into that category because the trigger warning is a spoiler. It's the biggest spoiler of the book. And so I think that that's a confusing thing to navigate. I honestly, if anybody is listening to me talk about this book and they want to pick it up, I would say to be very careful with it, not to not read it, but to at least think about it, what the message of the book is, and maybe have conversations, especially if you have teens at home and they're going to be reading this book. I feel like the topic of it is a little bit dangerous and it can put people in a bad head headspace when they're reading it. I, I just have a lot to say about this one. And I think I really don't have anything against the author, even though I'm saying that this is kind of a dangerous and maybe self-sabotaging book. I think maybe her intention is to promote conversations about mental health with this one. I just wish she wouldn't have made it into a mystery or a thriller because of it. And I know some people might disagree or see it differently, and that's perfectly fine. When I read, I get really deep and invested in things. And so I think that's why my opinion on this one just got so strong, because I think that the end of the book is really dark, and there's a lot to talk about to people after they've read it. So... This one, I just, I was really let down with this one. So I need to know how you feel about it, Gwen. I felt the same way. And I also think it's interesting that we're both former teachers. And we, so we definitely do look through that lens of, would this be a book that I read to my class and I felt comfortable doing so? Probably not. And I agree with you. Like, don't not read it. Don't not read any of these books because they were terrible to us. But for this particular thing, always look up trigger warnings if you need any of that type of information. I think that's important in any book, whether people mention triggers or not. But I do kind of feel icky when the twist or the reveal is something to do with anything mental illness related, physical related, anything like that. It gets a little dicey, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just comes off like, why did it have to be that? It could have been so many other things. I have a whole episode on my podcast about mental illness rep in fiction. And there are a bunch of great recommendations if you're looking for that representation in fiction stories. So definitely check out that episode. This is not listed as one of the recommendations for this exact reason. It made both Elizabeth and I feel icky at the end. And that's not how you want to feel when you have a topic like that in a book. All right, my last recommendation is The Drowning Kind by Jennifer McMahon. This author has people in a chokehold, but not me. (laughs) I heard this was so different from her other books and that for people who haven't liked her other books in the past would definitely like this one. That readers who don't read a lot of horror would still really enjoy this one. 
So the drowning kind follows Jax and her sister Lexi, who grew up swimming in their grandmother's pool most summers. Fast forward a couple of decades, and one day, Jax gets an unthinkable call. Her sister Lexi has been found dead, drowned in the very same pool that she loved so much as a child. So Jax returns to Sparrow Crest to get all of the affairs in order and lay her sister to rest. But two things are bothering her about her sister's death. Her sister was an excellent swimmer, and she left a strange voicemail, seemingly manic, the day before she was found. Now, back at Sparrow's Crest, Lexi finds clues left behind by her sister, and she starts to discover a past darker than she ever imagined. In classic uh, Jennifer McMahon style, it's told in dual timeline. So um, we have in 2019, that's the Jacks returning to her grandmother's estate. And then you have 1929, um, where you follow Ethel, who is struggling with infertility, which is another reason why I thought I might like this book. Um, she's taken on a trip. So I'm talking about Ethel, the 1929 timeline. She's taken on a trip by her husband to a fancy new hotel in Vermont that is said to have a natural spring that has healing properties. I liked the creepy ghost vibes and sinister darkness of these creepy waters, but I could not wrap my mind around drinking and swimming in these dark waters, almost black waters of this swimming pool in Jax's timeline. She was talking like she couldn't see the bottom. She didn't know how deep it was. And I'm thinking, girl, there is no way I'm swimming in that water. If I can't see the bottom or if I can't stick a stick or something in there to see how deep it is, I'm out. Like, no, no, thank you. Um, I'm thinking about like the parasites and how hard is it to get a pool filter? Like, like just get a filter. Um, and I couldn't let those nagging thoughts go. I, the whole thing centers around these waters. And I'm just thinking, end of book. I can't see the waters. You don't have a pool filter. I'm out. I'm sorry. It happened. Let's let's bury the sister. Like, let's get on with it. I also don't understand that Jack dismissed and lost touch with her sister who was bipolar. Because if anyone should understand, shouldn't Jax understand like what her sister was going through? Um, I also do not understand the Declan subplot and what ended up happening to him and his mother. And I just... Just a side note, I really don't enjoy unexplained supernatural things. And I feel like that happened in this book. So sadly, this one was not for me. And I really bought into the, even if you don't like her other books, you're going to love this one. Yeah, the people were wrong once again. <laughs> so that concludes our list of terrible books we read because of the hype. If you love the books we mentioned today, I'm so happy for you. We both are. But for the reasons we mentioned, they didn't quite work for us. And that's okay. So thank you so much for joining me, Elizabeth. Like I said a million times already, everyone go follow her on Instagram. Her book reviews are truly one of the most entertaining parts of my day. You can find her at Ponytails and Paperbacks on Instagram. Check the show notes for links to her social media. Glenn, I'm smiling so big. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I never dreamed I would actually be on one someday, and I'm honored to be on yours. I think this was such a great conversation. I love the books that we agreed on and didn't agree on. And it's just so fun to be able to talk about it in a safe, in a safe space. 
I also really hope our conversation didn't upset anyone. Like Gwen is saying, I honestly think that you're extra special when you don't fall into the hype of books that everyone else loves. So just remember that. Thank you again. This was so much fun. I hope we can do this in a future episode because I, I love chatting with you. Talk Bookers to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tag at Talk Bookers Podcast and at Lavender Mud in your listening selfies and stories on Instagram. The link for Patreon is in the show notes along with Elizabeth's social media. Until next time, happy reading. 